0: This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hello there, I'm Stephen Scott,
1: blind tech user and host of Double Tap Canada on AMI-audio. If you're new to assistive tech or an old pro like me, you're going to want to tune in. Listen for hardware reviews, app previews and witty tech-related banter. Give Double Tap Canada a try. Find us on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Are you ready? Let's go. go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. Thirty-six yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is this protector. The, the neutral zone. Oh! Oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now
2: here's your host, two-time Paralympian Brock Richardson. What's up, my sports friends? It's Friday, another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson, and my goodness, did I come in a little jumpy today. Uh, Welcome to another edition of the program. We are T-minus two shows remaining before we go on holidays. This one and the 18th is all you've got left, but we won't leave you too far as we're going to run a couple of... uh, best of episodes so you got us for two weeks and then we're off for two and we will be back joining me on this episode is josh watson josh how are you
3: i am all right it's uh good to talk to you guys it's a bit of a dreary day here in mississauga but you know what i get to do the show which is uh, a little unexpected and it's gonna be a great time so let's have at it
2: First of all, before we bring uh, Cameron on, I just want to let the audience know that uh, kudos to Josh as Claire had to take care of some uh, business a little bit before the show and he knew about uh, 40 minutes ago that he was going to be on the program. So he's all ready for us. And so thank you very much for jumping in last minute and we hope uh, Claire gets everything uh, taken care of and she will join us next week. Also joining us is Cam Jenkins. Cam, how are you? I'm doing wonderful gentlemen. and uh, Brock, before
4: you were uh, talking a little bit before about uh, Christmas vacation, so uh, were you boys good this year? Are you gonna get a Christmas uh, present from Santa, or what's going on? I hope so. I hope so. I,
2: I, I'm not Your wife to might the... say something different, but she, she might but she's not here, so so uh, so we'll just go with the fact that I've been a a good boy, and hopefully. I get a little more than just coal in my stocking. What about you, Cameron? Are you, uh, Have you been a good, uh, good boy? Of course
4: I have. Come on, you know better than to ask that question. I don't <laughs> uh, think I've ever gotten a piece of coal, and I know my father has um, certainly uh, suggested I'll get a, a coal, but I never did. So, yeah, no, I've been a good boy this year, and hopefully uh, Santa's good to me. How about you, Josh?
3: Well, there's really only one thing I want for Christmas, Cam, and that's the chance to spend it with family. So I'm hoping that this whole lockdown here in Peel region ends in time for Christmas and I can go home and see everybody. But it's a weird kind of year. So we'll just we'll see what happens. And if I'm if I'm
2: good and I get my wish, then I'll be a happy boy. Yes, I think you speak for a lot of people uh, around the nation, but Certainly, whatever the uh, restrictions are, do take uh, precaution for those of you out there, no matter what they are. And enjoy your holidays, which will be coming up in a couple of weeks. But before we get to the holidays, we're going to uh, discuss our Twitter poll question from last week. The question goes as follows. In light of the potential demolishing of the Rogers Centre, how do you feel about this? 58% of you said, I love it. 17% of you said, I hate it. And 25% of you said, I could care less. And I think, honestly, for me, the surprise in this one, guys, was the 25% I could care less. Josh, I'll let you go first on this. I think
3: the Rogers Centre has its flaws. And certainly, as a baseball-only stadium, I think it could be designed better. But it's was revolutionary for its time. Um, It's going to be a a little odd to see it go, if it does in fact go. But I I personally would welcome a change. Um, I would love to see them put a little more thought into the accessible seating that takes place uh, at the Rogers Centre or whatever it's going to be known as in the future. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think... As long as accessibility and fan experience is considered, then, you know what, have at it. If we keep the one we've got, well, it does its job. Cameron,
4: quick thought? You know, I think that it's time to get rid of, uh, I still call it the Sky Dome, not the Rogers Center. It's It's time to get rid of it. It's time to put a really nice baseball field there, grass only. And obviously the almighty dollar talks, so they're going to build probably more condos and uh, to help be able to pay for everything, but um, whether or not they keep the Sky Dome or Rogers Center or whether or not uh, they have a new stadium, it needs to be all private money Uh, because right now – rogers owns uh the center um but the land is owned by the government so um the rogers center took what 500 million to make that so you're probably looking at a billion dollars minimum to buy or to build buy a new stadium so um it has to be all private money because the taxpayers i don't think will uh put up for paying for a new stadium
2: i couldn't agree with you more and on that note let's get into this week's headlines
4: Three members of the Toronto Raptors organization has tested positive for COVID-19. However, the organization feels these individuals were isolated away from the team and therefore the Raptors had their first practice earlier this week. Here's what General Manager Bobby Webster had to say.
1: We had full full training camp today. We're comfortable that they're Three cases were isolated, Uh, there was no contact, contact tracing uh, went through, Uh, there's been no further positive tests,
2: uh, so we're confident that uh, we can continue with basketball.
3: New York Rangers first overall pick in this year's draft, Alexei Lafreniere will not be loaned to Team Canada for this year's World Junior Hockey Championship, happening in a couple of weeks. I'm disappointed to hear this, but he has had the opportunity to go twice before, so at least he does have that experience under his belt.
2: Toronto FC's and Alejandro Pazzulo has been named Major League Soccer MVP. This is a great nod for soccer here in Canada. So congratulations to him and everyone involved.
4: Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay Tardif and Bayern Munich left back Alfonso Davies are co-winners of the Lou Marsh Trophy as Canada's Athlete of the Year. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Bayern uh, Munich, um, it was lucky to have Alfonso Davies, and I think he had a phenomenal year, and he's going to be known. Uh, when his career is done as Canada's best uh, soccer athlete. Um, as far as uh, Laurent goes from the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, I would give him a humanitarian award, but the Lou Marsh Trophy was Canada's Athlete of the Year. And he didn't play, but he was selfless. He went to Montreal. Uh, he was part of the health care system to help people Um, get better because of COVID crisis that's going on. So I really think that he should get a humanitarian award, but I don't think he should have been eligible this year for the Liu March trophy.
2: Very interesting take there for sure on the headlines. And those are your headlines for this week. And uh, well done for all of that. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Josh Duick, who has been named Chef de Mission for Beijing 2022. Fascinating conversation. Straight ahead. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. And uh, we're going to bring on our next guest. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So Josh Duick was uh, born in British Columbia, Kimberley, British Columbia, to be exact. He was destined for the slopes. He loved being on the snow as a freestyle skier. However, an accident on the slopes forced him to change gears a little bit. He uh, had an accident on the slopes, as I mentioned. From there, it only took him five years to be off the slopes and back on, winning again in 2009 at the World Championships. Josh, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
4: So for those that may not know exactly what a chef de mission is, uh, what is that? Uh,
0: Team captain would be a a nice way to put it. And I believe each chef brings their own flavor to the table. Uh, So there's going to be like a a certain base parameter that we we operate with the entire mission team at the Canadian Paralympic Committee. And then from there, I can bring some personality and... Really, uh, I feel like each team, so each summer or winter team that goes to the games, truly defines the mission and the direction that they want to go. So I would say I'm a conduit. Uh, I am there to support uh, when needed and get out of the way and cheer loud when uh, when I don't need to be on the front line.
3: And how did you originally become involved with alpine skiing?
0: Oh, well, um, as you guys mentioned, I had a, an injury in 2004. And shortly thereafter, I was really motivated to become a recreational skier and just get back on the mountains to ski with my friends and uh, be a part of the community that meant so much to me and, and really to this day means so much to me, uh, the ski community at large. Uh, it, was, it was a friend of, well, at the time, it was a, a recruiter for BC Adaptive Alpine, Sean Blythe. And Sean's still very, very actively involved in the Paralympic movement in many different capacities. But she just heard about a kid who was 23 and an active skier, and she saw that as a, a pretty uh, good set of ingredients to uh, potentially be the next ski racer for Team Canada. And, geez, Sean, he kind of nailed that one.
4: And since you've done uh, both types of skiing, uh, both para and um, able-bodied, can you maybe give us a little difference uh, between the two?
0: Well, um, freestyle skiing is, uh, well, let's just focus, and maybe let's go able-bodied skiing to the adaptive world. And I would say that the biggest difference between the two is the equipment that we use. Now, all skiers will use the same skis, mostly the same bindings. And for me, rather than using a traditional ski boot, I use a sit ski. And so that's somewhere between a mountain bike uh, with the suspension and the A-arms, and then a big, in my case, a carbon fiber seat and leg cover to protect my lower body. And that really becomes the boot that uh, connects my body to the ski, Um, discipline to discipline, Uh, alpine ski racing is all about who can go the fastest down the mountain in between a series of gates. Uh, Freestyle is a judged event, and that is all about who brings the most style and technical difficulty to their run.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the role of Chef de Mission and ultimately were chosen for Beijing?
0: Yeah, I... I really believe in the power of sport, I think first and foremost, and the impact that it's had on my life personally. So I did feel like a bit of an internal calling to give back to the community that's provided me so much. It's given me a life, it's given me purpose, it's given me passion. Um, I also really believe in and and uh, and feel so lucky to be working with the mission staff, uh, so the team behind the teams at the Canadian Paralympic Committee. Uh, i been a product of their effort so they were the mission staff um when i was in the games in sochi 2014 and i witnessed them from afar but uh, i watched them work at the games in Pyeongchang 2018 and i just knew that the power of sport is very strong and the team that's supporting the canadian paralympic team was was so incredible that i thought geez you know what if i can contribute in any way uh to the overall success of Canada's team going into Beijing 2022 than I would love to. And uh, so I just threw my name in the ring to, to see if I would be the best candidate for the job. And uh, I, I guess they thought that I would be the right fit for our winter team going to Beijing.
4: Now, before you mention that, uh, basically, uh, Chef de Mission is like a head cheerleader. So what kind of head cheerleader are you going to be for this team?
0: That's a great point. That's certainly my spin on the the whole deal. I'm not sure every chef's mission would uh, define themselves as that, but absolutely, given that I'm a a fan of sport, I'm really excited to get to know each and every one of the athletes. So we have six teams. We've got Nordic, biathlon, alpine, uh, snowboard, curling, and hockey. And amongst those six teams, there'll be roughly 55 athletes. And I'm excited over the next few months to get to know each of the teams, the culture that they've built and within those teams, each of the individual athletes that make them up. I feel like if I get to know them a little bit better personally, and, I, and I'm going to guess I probably know half of all of those athletes already, and if I get to know the rest of the teams, uh, then I can be there as a friend, as a mentor, as a champion, and as a cheerleader, so that when things get a little more intense and exciting as we get closer to the Games in, in Beijing, uh, that I can I can be there, like really be there with them and for them uh, to hold space so that they can simply be the athlete that they were meant to be and that they've been training so hard to be. And, uh, yeah, so a part of it is champion, part of it is cheerleader, and part of it is just to insulate them from all the potential distractions that may come their way.
2: We're joined by Chef Timichon for Beijing 2022. Josh Duick. you're listening to The Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio, and I'm joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson.
3: We're approximately a year and four months away from Beijing 2022. Why is it so important for a chef de mission role to be filled so early in the process?
0: That's a great question. That's uh, one that I actually haven't pondered or even asked the mission staff at the Canadian Paralympic Committee uh, why so much foresight. Uh, To me, it actually doesn't seem like enough time if, uh, if you were to just get me off the top in the sense that I really, I, I want to be embedded in the culture of these teams and, and get to know the athletes, their families, the communities that they're from, uh, so that I can really um, be a pillar for them to lean into. Uh, these take time. Um, building relationships don't happen overnight, and it's not just a bulk email, hey, I'm Josh. Uh, it's, it's making the effort to get to know each of them one-to-one. And uh, again, suspect that's going to take a little bit of time to do, especially now when we have to be so nimble and uh, explore new ways in how we want to communicate and uh, get to know get to know the athletes, their families, and the communities, because I think that's super important. It's, uh, the impact that these players have is well beyond the field of play. It's, uh, it carries on into their, their own personal worlds, and I believe it has that capacity to motivate and elevate uh, all those that are around the athletes and support them in their mission.
3: Do you think your role is going to change between what you're doing now as Chef de Mission versus what you'll do at the Games?
0: Yes. Uh, I'm going to lean quite a bit into uh, previous Chef de Mission to to get a better understanding of the cadence and the flow of, uh, you know, there's going to be moments where it's quite quiet uh, and there's going to be moments where it gets quite busy. So right now, I feel like it's a bit of an accumulation and a acclimatization period for me as I get to know everybody. So it would be a little more of a leisurely pace. I suspect things will pick up a little bit in March of 2021 when we do the one-year announcement and start to announce the teams that they've been selected. Uh, and then it'll probably get pretty quiet again, is my guess, uh, as we, we all uh, sit back and cheer on our athletes going into Tokyo 21. Uh, And then I imagine shortly after the Tokyo games wrap up, we will uh, fire on all cylinders. And at that point, I feel like the intensity and the cadence will pick right up. It's going to be a lot more media demand and uh, opportunity for the chef to help field and support the athletes as they go through that uh, process. And then, um, this is going to be a very unique game in the sense that uh, currently there's global travel bans and this is the year that you would typically have test events over in, in the the host venues, so in Beijing. Uh, the athletes and, and a lot of the staff don't have that opportunity this year to go in test the venues, get used to the culture, the time change, the food, and everything else. Uh, so a lot of people are going to be, a lot of athletes and staff will be going into Beijing, I suspect, for the first time. And so That's going to put a a very increased workload on the mission staff so that we can provide as much information as possible to these teams so that they feel prepared for um, what may be their first entry point to Beijing during the Games.
4: What are you most looking forward to leading uh, Team Canada into Beijing?
0: Mm. It'll be getting to know the athletes, uh, both on a personal level and uh, the the community of supporters that's behind them. And then once that's happened, I'm, I'm really excited to have a chance to be front row and cheer the athletes on, uh, to be with them in their moments of success, and also to be a shoulder with them, um, maybe when they miss their targets, if that's, that's just a part of the game, right? You know, we all go, we all play. Um, sometimes we get up and we hit home runs, and sometimes we strike out, and I think Both are great experiences and opportunities to to learn and grow from, and I'm excited to be there and share them along every step of the way.
2: Josh, we thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us on this program, and uh, best of luck uh, headed into Beijing, and hopefully we can uh, catch up with you a little bit closer to the Games to see how things are going.
0: That would be great. Thanks so much for having me.
2: You're welcome, anytime. That was uh, Josh Duick, who is going to be the chef de mission for Team Canada in 2022. And we wish him and the rest of the admission staff all the best. And uh, coming up next, we're going to speak with friend of the show, Dan Shulman. He'll be joining us right after the break here on AMI-audio. We'll be right back.
0: message for the
1: neutral zone call now one 509 4545 and don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air let's get ready to leave a voicemail
2: welcome back to our program, the Neutral Zone, right here on AMI Audio, and as we are we're going to bring on our next guest, he is well known to those of us in Canada here, and uh, he's been getting a little bit of hardware and uh, doing very well. He was recently given the Jack Granny Award, uh, which is given to an individual who has made significant contributions to baseball in Canada. Who am I talking about? That would be the one and only Dan Schulman. Dan, congratulations on this award, and well-deserved, of course, and welcome back to our program.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Good to be back with you guys again.
3: Can you start by telling us a little bit about the award and what it means to have been the recipient?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm extremely honored. I was totally caught uh, off guard. I didn't know, you know, this was the time of year that they decide these things or announce these things. I just got a call, I guess, about 10 days ago um, when Scott Crawford at the, at the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in St. Mary's told me that uh, I had won the award and I was extremely honored. You know, the first thing you do, I think, when something like this happens after the phone call is you go online and you kind of see who else has won the award and you go, wow, I'm, you know, I'm in that group. And, you know, Tom Cheek and, and Jerry Howarth and Dave Van Horn and Ernie Harwell and Bob Elliott and, you know, some people that I admire a great deal. So um, you, you don't I, I mean, I, I don't do it for, uh, you know, to get awards or to or to, you know, for anything like that. But, it, you know, I, I'm human like everybody else. And it was it was really flattering to, to get this award.
4: Dan, now you've done other things like college basketball as well. Uh, Why is baseball so important to you here in Canada?
1: Uh, Well, I just love baseball. I always have. I I mean, I I don't know if I can say I have a favorite sport, uh, but, you know, I've I've called baseball games for 26 years, and I've loved baseball from really the moment the Blue Jays showed up in 1977 when I was 10 years old. So, you know, to be involved in baseball is great, and – to be a Canadian who calls games in both countries, both in Canada and the United States, but to be recognized for being a Canadian who, in whatever small way, you know, has impacted uh, baseball in Canada is very flattering.
3: And you've had the opportunity to call many games here in Canada, so, of course, we have to ask the inevitable question. Do you have a couple of memories that you could share with us that might stick out to you? Um so games i called On Canadian
1: Soil specifically? Yes. So On Canadian Soil, I would say probably it would be the, the Jose Bautista bat flip game. I called that game. I didn't call it for a Canadian entity. I called it for ESPN Radio, but called the, the Jose Bautista bat flip game in the playoffs in 2015. That was incredibly fun. Um, you know, back in the day when um, interleague play first started in the 90s, and the Blue Jays played the Expos a couple of times on Canada Day. You know, interleague play was something new and fresh then. And you know, the first time the Blue Jays came out in their red their red jerseys and the Expos were the opponent. Games like that were were really special. Um, and, and then, even as strange as it as it was, calling games this year from our studio at Sportsnet. You know, everybody was just starving for entertainment and starving for sports of any kind. And Um, The opportunity to call every Blue Jay game this year, even if we weren't on site to do it, meant a lot to me as well.
2: We're joined by uh, Dan Schulman, who is uh, a commentator for not only Sportsnet, but ESPN as well. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone
4: uh virtual winter meetings have been happening this week uh dan have you had your ear to the ground and are you hearing anything uh about the blue jays and what they're hoping for what they're doing
1: yeah i don't think i've heard anything that other people haven't heard i'm deep in college basketball down in the u.s right now so but i did listen in on some zoom calls with ross atkins and mark Shapiro the last couple of days and you know they're not shying away from the fact that they're going after some pretty big fish right now and and I don't know if they'll get a DJ LeMahieu or a George Springer or a Francisco Lindor, but you know they've got a certain amount of money to spend, and they could get you know one star player and a couple of other pretty good players, or they could get you know four pretty good players if they don't get that one superstar player. But one way or another, they're going to get better. They've got money to spend. They're a team on the upswing. Um, and they, I think they've got the attention of free agents. You know, they've got a little bit of an issue with not knowing if they can play in Toronto this year, and that that could be a factor with some players. I don't know, but uh, I think it's, you know, it's pretty exciting. It might take until January. Things are moving so slowly right now in baseball. This is the way it works right now. But I, I think the Blue Jays are talking to a lot of different free agents,
3: and I think they're going to land some of them. And do you see any particular areas that the Blue Jays – need to address this offseason?
1: Yes. Um, pitching, definitely. Um, they definitely need one more legitimate major league starting pitcher. You know, you know you've know, you got Hunjin Ryu. You're hoping Nate Pearson is ready to take that next step and be a big, big part of this rotation. Um, and then you've got Robbie Ray, Tanner Roark, Ross Stripling. You've got some depth at the back, but I think they need one more, you know, like, no worse than a number three starter, really. So a legitimate guy with a proven track record. The other area I think they've definitely got to get better is defense. They were a very poor defensive team last year. And that made their pitching actually look a little bit worse than it probably actually was. So whether that means getting Lindor and putting him at short, maybe Bobashed moves to second, whether it's Colton Wong at second, whether it's Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, I'm not sure. But they need to get better defensively offensively, they're a good team. They were an above-average offensive team last year. They're going to continue to be a good offensive team. But I would love to see them get a hitter who's just a little bit different than so many of the guys that they have. You look at Guriel, Grichik, Hernandez, Bichette, like a lot of their guys are right-handed batters who swing and miss a lot. And that's why I think it's nice to have a guy like Vigio, who's different, left-handed batter will take a walk rowdy Telez, left-handed batter if he figured it out last year and i think he did he's got a chance to be a big force but i think they need one other guy he doesn't have to be a left-handed batter but just somebody who's different than all you know so many of the other guys they have somebody who uses the whole field puts the ball in play takes a walk a little bit more that sort of thing just to just to give the lineup a little bit of a different look
4: this off season, it really looks like Vladdy's taking care of himself, and he's good in, in good physical condition. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Are you impressed? And what else do you need to see from him? Uh, you know, for the upcoming season.
1: Uh, I am impressed, and you know, he made a mistake last year, and, and he's never going to be a guy who weighs 195 pounds. That's just not how he's built. But um, you know, from what he said in that interview a few weeks ago, he. He came back after the lockdown at 280 pounds, and he just can't do that. He's 21 years old, um, so last we heard, he was down to 240. He's playing winter ball right now, and he's playing third base in winter ball. It just started a couple of days ago. Um, I, I'd like to, you know, s- see him, you know, continue to work on it. I don't think he's a finished product, and I think he's always going to have to you know, have some sort of a maintenance plan in order for him to be at his best. And I don't know what the magic number is. If it's 230, 220, it's not just a number. It's also how fit is he, how toned is he, how strong is he. Um, But, you know, losing 40 pounds in and of itself is definitely going to help him. The big question to me is, do they let him try to play third base next year? They didn't let him this year. And they stuck him over at first, and it didn't go well because first is a hard position, and he'd never played it before. I think they're going to give him a chance to play third. Now, whether they decide that based on what he does in winter ball or in spring training, I'm not sure. But if he can play third, just at a an average level, maybe not even average, just a, even a little bit below average, it just gives them so much more flexibility. Rowdy Telez can then play first, and you've got an open DH spot, and that means you can go out and get anybody you want. If you get Lindor, you know maybe Bichette goes to second, and Biggio DHs. Or then Vigio can go play right one day and Teoscar Hernandez DHs. Or Grichet can get a day off and Teoscar um, can move to center field. They just have a ton of flexibility. So I think there is some interest in trying to allow Vladdy to play third again, but it's up to him.
3: A couple of weeks ago, reports did come out about Rogers possibly looking at demolishing Rogers Center and replacing it with another stadium. Um, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't ask what your opinion of the matter would be. Uh, I would love to see them get a new stadium.
1: I think they need a new stadium. Uh, I would love to see it done without public funding. We all know that in these times there are a lot of important areas that have to be addressed with public funding. So I'm glad to see the report said it would all be done privately. Um, but they, I think they need a new stadium. I believe it's the sixth oldest stadium in baseball since it opened, the Skydome in 1989. Texas and Atlanta have gotten two new stadiums. They got a new one and then got another new one. So it's time. It was built at a time when no big multi-purpose facilities were what was being built, and those aren't the style now. Now it's uh, smaller baseball-only facilities, ballparks, uh, not stadiums. And I think it would help attract free agents. I think it would eventually pay for itself in terms of uh you know more revenue uh more fans coming to the ballpark if the team is better the television revenue goes up everybody wins so i think if they want to compete with the yankees and red Sox, one of the things that they have to do is get a new ballpark so i hope you know my employer is is the company that would be demolishing and rebuilding it so it's not my place to tell them what to do but i i hope in the next five or six years they do get a new ballpark
2: you know, Dan, i, I got to ask you this question because I've seen so many interviews being done by uh, Ross Adkins and even Mark Shapiro over the years who've said, you know, we have the support of Rogers to, to do what we need to do. And I've seen some feedback from fans on Twitter saying, yeah, we've heard this story many times. Why is this year different when they're saying we really do have the uh, support of Rogers. Well,
1: actually, I think last year was different.
2: I mean, they signed Hun
1: Ryu to a four-year, eighty million dollar contract. Nobody thought they were going to do that. So, I actually think it started last year. And Mark Shapiro has consistently said that they are spending below revenues um, at some point, and then when they get to the point where they think they can win, they'll spend above revenue if it puts them over the top. Now, he said that before the pandemic hit, and the world is a different place. But I think we should believe it because they started doing it last year. And I don't think they get enough credit for doing it. Um, you know, and then they went out of the trade deadline and they picked up Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker and Jonathan VR, And they all impacted the team to varying degrees, but they took on money. So I think they've done a little bit more money-wise the last year so than they get credit for. And I, you know, it's not like a ton of other guys have been signed this offseason, and the Blue Jays are sitting on the sideline. They signed Robbie Ray, who was actually the first free agent who was signed. But it's not like Lindor got traded anywhere else, or Springer hasn't signed, and Rio Muto hasn't signed, and Bauer hasn't signed, and I don't think they're going to get Bauer. Lemayhu hasn't signed. Like, all these guys are still out there. The one thing that happened is Lance Lynn got traded from Texas to the White Sox, and he would have been a, a really good fit for the Blue Jays. But I, I think we should believe them because um, – uh, I, I think they're in on people, and, and I think they—they're one of the four or five teams with legitimate money to spend. And you know, they keep saying we're in on this, we're in on this, we're in on this. I don't think it's good PR if they're saying it just to say it. Um, They—they've got to back it up. Otherwise, I don't think they would be speaking about it as boldly as they are.
2: It—it it just, Dan, it just blows my mind that this this uh, regime really has never been given the credit they deserve and i I just hope it changes yeah you know some things they've done have gone very well some things they've done have not gone well um
1: they inherited a team that was very good old and with a ton of big contracts and there was for anybody who understands the business of baseball it was absolutely 100 percent inevitable that they would eventually have to kind of tear it down and that that wasn't going to go over well with a lot of fans. But, you know, what if they had, Bautista wanted like another five-year What if they had re-signed Bautista, re-signed Encarnacion, et cetera, et cetera. They might have had one more maybe kind of year to, to, to go for it. I don't think they would have. Like those guys were nearing the ends of their careers. And they took a lot of heat, I think, unfairly for some of the things that happened in the situation they inherited. It was, it was inevitable. What they have done is they have rebuilt the farm system into one of the stronger ones in baseball they have and we haven't seen it yet but they have totally rebuilt the facilities down in Dunedin and apparently they're beautiful and I can't wait to see them whenever that is I don't know but I can't wait to see them um, and now the you know the next step is what do they do this winter to improve the team and maybe make it into a real force this year and 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 we'll find out but you know, again, not everything they've done has worked, but they've done a lot more right than they've gotten credit for.
2: And, again, and one of the things I think, Dan, that they really need to get credit for, look what they did to Buffalo. Buffalo was yeah. not ready for a major league team, and they were able to put a, a really good quality team on the field, and the stadium looked half decent, which mm-hmm. I believe they needed credit for.
1: Yeah, they worked very hard, and it, it, it was a three pronged approach. It was Toronto, Buffalo, and Dunedin all working together, crews from all three cities. But that's the other thing I think some need, uh, some fans need to understand is in some areas the Blue Jays are in a uniquely difficult situation. Uh, one of them is there are some people who just don't want to play in Canada. They've got to help players understand things. They've got to sell Canada to some players. Some people say, "Hey, Toronto's beautiful, cosmopolitan. I want to play there." And some people are like, I- I'm not so sure. Um, that's a process. Obviously, with the pandemic this year, they were in an, a unique place. They they were the only team that didn't have a place to play. And I think Charlie Montoyo deserves a ton of credit for keeping the players focused and positive and resilient through all of it to the point where they made the playoffs. They could have folded. They could have, you know, emotionally, they could have folded early in the year. And they didn't. They started off poorly, had a lot of injuries, and they that he still played well. Um, there are a lot of unique circumstances about this baseball team. And when it's good, it can be absolutely phenomenal. 50,000 uh, fans, you know, in the ballpark, fans from coast to coast to coast. There's nothing like it. But there are unique challenges that this team faces that I'm sure as, as long as Mark Shapiro's been around the game, even he couldn't have anticipated all of them. Uh, when he came from Cleveland, because it is—it's a different market, it's a different country, it's a different fan base, and there are a lot of a lot of things that have to be dealt with. But um, I hope people, you know, start giving them the credit for some of the things they've done the last couple of years. There have been some good signings, there have been some good drafts, there have been some good trades, and they're headed
2: in the right direction. I absolutely could not agree with you more, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. You got it, guys. Be well. Stay safe. That was Dan Schulman joining us to talk a lot of baseball. Coming up next, we're going to uh, switch to basketball and talk about Masai Ujiri's future, and I will give you your last chance or opportunity to talk about getting an iPhone 11. Stay with us. We'll be right back. want to win an iPhone 11? Well, today's your last day to do so. We've been running a contest for quite some time now, and if you want to get in on it, you must get in on it before 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. How can you do that? Well, subscribe to your favorite podcast and then go to ami.ca slash podcast dash contest. I'll give it to you again, ami.ca slash podcast dash contest contest to fill out the entry form, and you are in the draw. Again, you have until 11.59 on Friday to do so, so if you're listening to our podcast, you need to check the time before registering, and good luck to everyone. Guys, I really wanted to discuss um, Masai Ujiri, and we talked about it a while ago, um, but he came out in his media availability recently, and Obviously, the question was asked. You know, what about your contract? It expires at the end of this upcoming season. And Masai Ujiri was very much like, "Well, I think there's more important things. We're not playing in Toronto. We're we're in a different location. COVID, et cetera, et cetera." Really, kind of talked around in circles. I'm curious to know what you guys really feel about the way he was talking during that press conference. Cam, start with you, and then we'll go to Josh.
4: You know, Messiah Juri has been with the Raptors now for I don't even know how many years it is. But during that time, he's really grown his Giants of Africa uh, organization charity. Um, he rolls with people like Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau. Um, you know, I, I think that his next... Um, venture, uh, if it's not going to be uh, president of the Toronto Raptors, I don't even know if it's going to be in basketball. And if it is, I think there's only two choices. And I know that both of them, uh, you know, have presidents uh, currently, but it would, to me it would be New York and it would be Washington. Um, because I think he really wants to get into politics and make a difference uh, from that, side of things um so i i think that's where that this is going personally um if he's able to um you know still do that and maybe add on a bit more responsibility uh for you know going outside the maple leafs sports and entertainment and making a difference out in the world um you know he might stay but he
3: very well might get out of uh, basketball altogether to be quite honest with you That's a really interesting take. I I hadn't considered it that way. I looked at it as I think there is something that Maasai wants out of his next contract. And maybe it's freedom to do things with Giants of Africa. Uh, Maybe it's to do things politically, as you mentioned. I just I feel like there's there's a reason that he hasn't done a contract yet. If it was as simple as I want to come back to Toronto, the deal would be done. The, the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment has never given an indication that I've seen that they don't want him back. They seem very eager to sign him. I believe it's Masai who's saying, you know, I'm I'm listening. Give me your offer. I'll think about it. But I wonder if it comes down to competitiveness. I wonder if he's got the sense that there's something at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment where maybe they want to milk the 2019 championship a little more. And he doesn't want to do that. He's a competitor. He wants to win it again and again. So maybe he's getting a vibe that they're not on the same page, and that's why he's waiting. Who knows?
2: I think the part that sort of scares me with the recent uh, press conference, and if you haven't read it or seen the videos, go to sportsnet.ca uh, and find Michael Grange's piece that he wrote on this. He said in a roundabout way, the deal is basically done. It's a matter of putting pen to paper and, and and signing it, and this is more about bigger and bigger things that are beyond my contract. The problem with this is that we've just seen Greg Vanny of Toronto FC spout the almost the exact same phrase, and then where's he? He was out the door. So I think you gotta temper the oh it's almost done, we're there. With okay, but what's really going on and. I want to know, is this about leverage for Masai? Is it a good thing, a bad thing? Josh, start with you on this one.
3: I don't think it's good or bad that he hasn't signed. He does still have a year left on his contract. Where I think it proves to be a problem is the closer we get to the end of this season. This past NBA season was a nightmare for all involved, quite frankly. You had a stoppage you had figuring out a bubble you had logistics of getting everybody there now you've got a new season starting you've got an nba off season that's unlike any we've seen and now you've got the raptors this season playing in tampa bay because they can't play in toronto because you can't have teams coming in and out so there's just been a lot of things on the go And Masai almost seems benevolent in that in the in the article you referenced, Brock, he mentions, you know, I wanted the the people around me to get their deals done first. Well, those are done. So now if it doesn't get done, my question is, what does Masai want that he's not feeling like he's getting? Is it a freedom to to do something he wants to do? Or is it that he's not sensing the competitive desire from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment? Like, what is it? And the later this goes into the year, the bigger that question becomes.
4: In the last time that uh, Masai was uh, going into the last year of his contract was a matter of being in Denver. And we all know what happened then. Uh, Lewicki ended up... Uh, calling up Masai and uh, getting them to come to the Raptors. Like this should be the easiest contract that Maple Leaf sports and entertainment has ever done. You give him 12 million a year. Uh, you do it for how many ever years that he wants and give him a small percentage of ownership as well. Because I think that's what this is going into as well is, you know, wanting a piece of ownership because maybe he wants to own his own, uh, team one day. Um, and that's quite possible as well, and I could certainly see that happening too. So give him $12 million, give him a piece of the ownership, and let's wrap this up in a tape bowl by Christmas and uh, get
3: on with our days. I think yeah. that ownership piece is a challenge, though, just because of the way Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is set up. I mean, I can't see Bell or Rogers giving up their any of their 37.5% ownership stakes. So does – Larry Tannenbaum give up his part of his that's, 25%. I I don't know. I, I don't think that happens.
2: And, and that's where it comes down to, you know, uh, the almighty dollar, as Cameron often says. And, I mean, I've heard that the Bell and Rogers meetings don't go that well. You know, they, they, they in front of the media, they say that they're on the same page. But when you hear certain people talking, it's not just that easy to say, Okay, you give up a part of your share and I honestly can't see Bell or Rogers, I agree with you, giving up their share and saying, Here you go, Masai, we'll, we'll we'll let go of some of our leverage to give it to you
4: and what they need to do though is both Bell and Rogers give up the exact same amount of percentage so it's still equal between the two of them.
2: Yeah. Or if you if you're both gonna come down to you're going to give one percent each of you give half a percent then to me it's it's it sounds simple but i don't think it is that simple uh that is the end of our show folks i would like to thank um josh watson cam jenkins our technical producer is matt agnew our manager of ami audio is andy frank tune in next week for our final show right before the holidays And it's a good one. You never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great week. Take care. And we'll talk to you next week.